Let's remember our foundational verse for this study. It's in Proverbs 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That's the way we're used to hearing the passage in the King James translation. Let's look at the way it reads in some other translations or some other versions. The message says, God devotion makes a country strong. God avoidance leaves people weak. The contemporary English version puts it, Doing right brings honor to a nation, but sin brings disgrace. The New Century version puts it, Doing what is right makes a nation great, but sin will be a disgrace to any people. If you read the book of Judges, there are some striking parallels between Israel and the United States of America. Now, I don't want to do as I've had some accuse me of lessons like this in the past and base these lessons on bad theology. I realize the nation of Israel was God's chosen nation of old. I do not believe in the doctrine of manifest destiny. And so I do realize that the United States is not a chosen nation of God, even though some might try to say that. But I also realize something else, that we have been greatly blessed by God. We often sing the song, God bless America, and He has abundantly. Israel of old was established by God Himself, and God gave Himself to them. He also gave them the law, the Ten Commandments, the covenant. He gave them Canaan, the best land on the earth at that time. And so God gave them the Lord, the law, and the land. And God asked of Israel one thing and one thing only in return. He asked that they would love Him, obey Him, and serve Him. And what did Israel do? They denied the Lord, they defied the law, and they defiled the land. So God had to judge them. The parallel with America is obvious and alarming. No nation has ever had its beginning in Christian principles like the United States did. We have in some of our previous lessons looked at the Judeo-Christian faith of the founding fathers of America. But in spite of our roots, in spite of our Judeo-Christian heritage, America has denied the Lord and America has defied God. And God is slowly but steadily being expelled from every public venue in our nation. It started in the public schools many years ago. It has now spread to public places, courthouses. There are those that even want to remove the motto, In God We Trust, from our coinage and our currency. There are those that want to remove the phrase, One Nation Under God, from our Pledge of Allegiance. We are on the very brink. We are on the precipice of actually fighting battles about what we can say 
from the pulpit. Several years ago, if you'll recall, there was a mayor in Houston who wanted preachers in Houston to submit their sermon manuscripts to the mayor's office for approval lest they mention something against homosexuality in their sermons and therefore engage in hate speech. I would love to know when the government decided that preaching against sin was hate speech. But that's another lesson. It's not about the separation of church and state anymore in America. It's become fundamentally the separation of America from the God of heaven. It's about removing every vestige, every reference of God from American society. The Supreme Court has said that it's against the law to display the Ten Commandments in a public place. Do you know where the Ten Commandments are prominently displayed? The Supreme Court building. Now the reasoning is, if you display prominently the Ten Commandments, why people might actually ponder them. And pondering those Ten Commandments perish the thought, they might actually obey those commandments. And tragically, that then would be a violation of the separation of church and state. So it is now the official position of the Supreme Court and government of the United States of America that the Ten Commandments are dangerous. I mean, we wouldn't really want kids in schools to see something like, Thou shalt not kill. Can you imagine? What if folks actually obeyed that? You know... There's a, there's a lot of things that we, we should look at along these lines. One of the things I want us to think about is the concept of the cheerleaders and the heathens. Some years ago, it was in 2009, Lakeview Fort Oglethorpe cheerleaders in the state of Georgia were told not to use banners for the teams to run through in the year of 2009. Now, these banners had been an institution at this particular school since 2003. And the people of the community had found the banners to be inspiring. What were the cheerleaders doing? They were using banners with script, inspirational scriptures printed on those banners. The cheerleaders were not promoting a religious cause. They were not cramming religion down anyone's throat. They were merely using scriptures to motivate players and fans. And you would probably think, well, the reason they were commanded to stop it was because there was a great public outcry of opposition. No. One person lodged a verbal complaint. Back in 2012, it happened a little closer to home, just down the road in a place called Coons, Texas. High school and middle school cheerleaders in Coons wanted to encourage their fellow students with positive messages on their cheer signs for the football team to run through. They didn't get school money. The cheerleaders used their own money to buy supplies and create these banners for the team to run through 
featuring Bible verses on the banners. But guess what? The Coons ISD received a complaint. So the superintendent, quaking in his boots, ordered the cheerleaders to stop and ban the religious banners. The cheerleaders, supported by their parents, supported by the community in Coons, Texas, made the bold decision to fight for their free speech and their religious liberty rights. 2012. The case was finally settled in 2016. Those cheerleaders had all even already graduated when it was settled. But the case was settled, and guess what? The cheerleaders won. Well, who's behind this kind of insanity? One major group through the years has been the ACLU. The American Communist, I mean the American Civil Liberties Union. Or perhaps it would be better if ACLU stood for Anti-Christian Liberals Union. They have about 500,000 members. Do you realize that that is less than one-tenth of one percent of the population of the United States of America? And they are subverting the religious rights of the other 99.9% of American citizens? They need to be just told to butt out and mind their own business. Then there's another group. The Freedom from Religion Foundation in Madison, Wisconsin. The Freedom from Religion Foundation claims to be the largest free thought association in America. Their website contains a claim of a total of approximately 23,500 members. The population of the United States is about 350 million. They let, represent less than one one-hundredth of the population. It's time to tell the Freedom From Religion folks in Madison, Wisconsin to just leave us alone. There are other groups less prominent than these, and I'm not going to take the time to mention them. But these groups, the ACLU, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and others, have been used as a tool of the devil for a number of years, trying to destroy the fabric of our society based upon its Judeo-Christian values. Look at some of the ways that God has been left out of our national life. Politicians for years have called for an end to the war on drugs. There are states that have actually legalized the use of marijuana. And so many of our political leaders and free-thinking political leaders have decided, well, since we're losing the war on drugs, we might as well quit trying to fight. What we need to do is just surrender and legalize drug use because after all, we can, if we legalize it, we can control it. We can control how much of it people use. Sure we can. Just like the government has full control over alcohol, right? There was a Surgeon General under former President Bill Clinton by the name of Jocelyn Elders. And she was a major proponent of this kind of thinking. 
trying to control the use of drugs by legalization is like trying to control a forest fire with gasoline. You'll accomplish about the same purpose. But we have surrendered in our society in the area of sexual promiscuity. We've thrown up our hands. We've said, well, you're not going to be good, so just be careful. Here, be sure you use protection. In fact, just this past week, the state of Vermont has passed a, I think it was a law, but I read about it. In Vermont now, it's still illegal for students to have corporate public prayer in the school, but they're passing out condoms to high school students. I'm not making this up. The school can't give your child an aspirin without your permission. But they can hand out condoms. They can give them what's necessary to be sexually promiscuous. What kind of an insane message does that send to the youth of America? It just goes to show how stupid and how incompetent political correctness can be. Instead of putting a fence at the edge of a cliff, we put an ambulance at the bottom. That's kind of the same principle we're talking about. It is time to corrupt the warped cultural nature of this nation with the truth of God and His Word. We have become so politically correct about homosexuality that it's wrong to say anything about it. If a preacher dares to condemn homosexuality from the pulpit, he's a homophobe. He hates homosexuals. Our society has reached a point that homosexuals have been given more than just equal status. They've been given exalted status. There are those in our government today, and there are those running for high office today. If they had their way, would label it hate speech for me to have the audacity to condemn homosexuality from this pulpit. As God is my witness, I should be free to condemn sin in any form. I condemn drunkenness. That does not mean I hate alcoholics. I hate their sin, but I don't hate them. The cry of our day is, well, there's nothing wrong with being gay. What folks do is their business. I don't see why they can't get married. I don't see why they can't adopt children. After all, they should have rights of their own. After all, they, they most often make good neighbors. Why can't we just all get along? God loves homosexuals, so should we. And so we do. And we love them. But not by accepting their sin, but confronting their sin with the truth of God's Word, the antidote, which is their only hope and ours as well. And now we've gotten this deal where that, well, folks can't really decide. They should be children. Someone has even suggested recently that children as young as eight years old 
be allowed to make up their own mind whether they really want to be a boy or a girl. And if someone is born as a male and then they decide they want to be a female, I'm supposed to pay for their surgery out of my tax dollars. And the Greek word for that is baloney. And now we've got something new that's even being given serious consideration. Something that 50 years ago none of us would have dreamed would have ever been possible in the United States of America, and that's socialism. And we have those who put on their dark glasses and their blinders and ignore completely the plights of other countries that have tried the socialism experiment. And putting on their blinders, putting on their dark glasses, we have politicians in this country who want to take the United States of America down a dead-end, one-way, no-U-turn street that leads from capitalism to communism and a denial of the existence of God. And doing this, we would become a nation with no wealth, no freedom, and no real reason to work. And make no mistake about it, this is on the ballot in our upcoming election. Socialism would close our churches. And there are some that are seeking to do that even now, and there are some who've already done it in the name of a pandemic. And then there's things like abortion and legalized gambling and and all of these other things, and I don't have the time to get into all of that this morning. Now let's look at some other things. Some court cases. And some of them aren't really that recent. There was the 1962 court case, Engel versus Vitale in the United States Supreme Court. The Board of Regents of New York State had written and authorized a voluntary, non-denominational prayer that could be recited by students at the beginning of the school day. A group of parents that included a man by the name of Stephen Engel in Hyde Park objected to the prayer. Here's the text of that prayer. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon Thee, and we beg Thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Well, they sued the school board president, William Vitale. Proponents of the prayer argued it was constitutional because it was voluntary, promoted the free exercise of religion, and they were upheld by the New York's courts. So the petitioners filed an appeal to the United States Supreme Court. And guess who supported them in their petition before the United States Supreme Court? The ACLU. Shocking, isn't it? Well, there's other things. The governments of 20 states called upon the Supreme Court to uphold that prayer. And the Supreme Court was ruling was released on June 25th. 1962. And the Supreme Court, as far back as 1962, found the New York law to be unconstitutional by a margin of six to one. 
two justices did not participate in the decision. The lone dissent came from Justice Potter Stewart, who argued that the majority had misapplied a great constitutional principle and could not understand how an official religion is established by letting those who want to say a prayer say it. On the contrary, I think to deny the wish of these school children to join in reciting the prayer is to deny them the opportunity of sharing in the spiritual heritage of our nation and denying them the free exercise of religion. The decision in 1962, the first in which the Supreme Court had ruled unconstitutional public sponsorship of religion in the public school was unpopular with a broad segment of the American public. Then there was the 1963 case, the school district of Abington Township versus Shemp. In this case, the Supreme Court of the United States decided it was unconstitutional to begin the school day with the reading of a few Bible verses. <coughs> Here is a part of what the opinion written for the court said. The Establishment Clause was not intended merely to prohibit Congress from, a, from aiding or preferring one religion at the expense of another, but also to ensure it does not promote all religions or religion generally. That's what the Supreme Court says. Do you know how the Supreme Court begins their proceedings? With a prayer. Know who leads the prayer? Chaplain. Know who pays for the chaplain? Public funds. Oh, consistency, thou art a jewel. In 1980, there was a case entitled Stone versus Graham, argued before the United States Supreme Court. This was brought because of a Kentucky statute that required a copy of the Ten Commandments purchase from private funds was to be posted on the wall in every public school classroom in the state of Kentucky. At the bottom of that copy of the Ten Commandments was a disclaimer that read, The secular application of the Ten Commandments is clearly seen in its adoption as the fundamental legal code of Western civilization and the common law of the United States. The United States Supreme Court ruled it was unconstitutional. After all, what a dangerous, subversive thing to impress upon young minds. Things like thou shalt not kill, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery. Every year, we see more and more instances where groups such as the ACLU and the Freedom From Religion folks seek to prohibit Seniors in high school from praying at graduation or making any reference to God or Jesus Christ in graduation speeches. So what exactly does unconstitutional mean? It means our founding fathers would have disapproved of it. Well, that makes us ask, what was the intent of our founding fathers? Remember, tens of thousands of Puritans migrated to New England. They came within 20 years to the Mayflower's landing at Plymouth. 
The first public school act in America was implemented in 1647 by these Puritans. The law is actually referred to, you're going to love this, as the Old Deluder Satan Act of 1647. And here's what a part of it reads. It being one chief project of that old deluder, Satan, to keep men from the knowledge of the Scriptures. Schools should be set up in the colony to teach children to read the Scriptures. Every town that had 50 families was supposed to hire a teacher to teach children to read the Bible so they could avoid the problems that the old deluder would bring with an ignorance of God's revelation. Our earliest and most prominent institutions of higher learning had a strong religious identity. These institutions drew their basic identity and their basic sense of mission from religious principles. Individual educators also did not hesitate to express Christian convictions. This is from the Harvard University Rules and Precepts, 1642. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know Jesus, to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. John 17, 3. And therefore to lay Christ at the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning and seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 3. Another. Everyone shall so exercise himself in reading the Scriptures twice a day that he shall be ready to give account of his proficiency therein, both in theoretical observations of language and logic and in practical and spiritual truths as his tutor shall require, according to his ability, seeing the entrance of the Word giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. Psalms 119, verse 130. Harvard was founded in 1636 and named for the Puritan preacher John Harvard. Its purpose was to train ministers of the gospel. Now Harvard's purpose seems to be furnishing the country with a never-ending supply of secular, progressives, activist judges, and those that would seek to remove God from every vestige of our society and our heritage. Yale was formed in 1701, was named for Elihu Yale. That's why they're called the Fighting Eli. Elihu Yale was a wealthy Puritan. This is from the New Charter of 1745. All scholars shall live religious, godly, and blameless lives according to the rules of God's Word, diligently reading the Holy Scriptures, the fountain of light and truth, and constantly attend upon all the duties of religion, both in public and in secret. Columbia University in New York was originally known as King's College. It was the first university in America to award a Master of Divinity degree. 104 of the first 119 colleges and universities in America were founded upon Christian principles. 
of the first 40,000 college graduates in America prior to the Civil War, 10,000 entered into the ministry. That's 25%. Abraham Lincoln once said, The philosophy of the classroom in one generation becomes the philosophy of government in the next. We're seeing that even now. It's for that reason that the teaching of the Bible was so important. Religion was the key to morality, and morality was the key to the continuance of this republic known as the United States of America. Here's the story that comes out of our Civil War era. A benevolent gentleman during the Civil War saw a young lady being auctioned off as a slave. He began to bid just above every bid until he finally won the auction. And he actually ended up paying a very high price. They say that after winning, he began to walk away and she followed him. And he said to her, young lady, I bought you not to own you, but to set you free. Free? She asked. He said, yes. Free to go wherever you want and to do what you wish. She replied, then I choose to go with you. After all God has done for the United States of America, how can this nation continually spit in His face as they do? We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for a national revival. Remember, we talked about Patrick Henry. He gave that speech which sparked the revolution in 1775. He said, Is life so dear, or peace so sweet, as to be purchased at the price of chains or slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty. Or give me death. It was game on. And we won that war. And George Washington became our first president. When he took the oath of office, he placed his hand on the Bible. He finished the oath and he kissed the Bible. And his first official act as president, was to lead the entire Congress in a two-hour worship session. I wonder what the ACLU and the Freedom From Religion folks would think if that were to happen in our country today. Our time is gone. Until we're together again, may the Lord richly bless and keep you is our prayer in Jesus' name.